Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So it's good to be with you all today. I, um, I want to pray real quick because that's what we do here. And um, yeah, so Jesus, I just thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for what you're, what you're stirring in this place. Lord, would you help me to articulate what you're stirring in this place and in myself? Would you help us to be dependent on you in all things? Would you help us to surrender to your will, to your way? Would you help us to lean into what you're doing in this season? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Jackie was saying, I'm getting weepy today too, man. I'm like, what is going on? I'm, an, I'm not that emotional, and I'm feeling weepy today. And I think just even singing about the goodness of God, it's just me- it's messing me up. Like, seriously, it's messing me up because I, I know his goodness. I've tasted it, and I'll never be the same, and I'll never go back. And so, so anyway, that's just what it is. It's what he's doing. And so if you're here, I pray that you would taste his goodness today and taste it like you like richer and deeper and more full than you've ever tasted it because God is good and, and he will prove himself faithful in the end and even in the present. So today um, I want to talk, my message is titled Dependent Living, Dependent Living. You know, we talk about independent living. I want to talk about dependent living. And, you know, last week, Bill was taking us through, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. And we, you know, we got to partake in just, as Justin was mentioning, to the humility, just thinking about the humility that Christ exuded on the cross, leading up to the cross. And, uh, and so I want to kind of play or delve into that a bit more, the humility of Christ, but ultimately how he surrendered to the will of the Father, how he... he gave up his own will and aligned his will fully with his father. And that's the dependent life that you and I are called to live. And we live in such a pinnacle moment right now. And I really believe what we're doing right now is really we're here to train and equip one another in the ways of God to fulfill God's mandate right now on New York City, on this region, to bring in the harvest, to be a family, to take in the hurting, the broken, all the things Jackie was saying. Like, it, we are getting equipped now to receive that harvest, and it's a, it's a pinnacle moment. So that's why I want to talk about being dependent on the Lord, because it's the lifestyle we're called to leave, and it's the way that we're going to fulfill what he's given you to do. You can't fulfill it with an independent mindset. You got to be dependent. And so, so anyway, some of you all know I like to ski. I don't do it enough because I have three kids, and they take up a lot of my time. But recently I did it. I did it this winter, and I had some of my kids there. And we went down um, some slopes in the Poconos. And so my middle daughter, she is five years old. Her name's Lilu. And Lilu went with my wife on the bunny slope, like the real tiny one. Like you go up this little, like, I don't know, it's like a conveyor belt, essentially. And it's a little bunny slope. And so she's up there. My wife has got a board, so she's a snowboarder. And it's hard to train people when you have a snowboard and they're on skis. Like it just doesn't really work well. So Lilu goes, she's on her skis, and she just goes down the hill, and Vanessa is unable to keep up with her, so Lilu just straight books it, like, you know, there's no, like, there's no skiing, it's just, like, one way, <laughs> and so she's like, ah, like, 
straight down the hill, and other people are kind of like looking around, and then she just dives into a ditch and kind of lays there, you know, like, <laughs> that was awesome. So she loved it, but she didn't know what she was doing. So, so Fern and I, we decided to take a different approach, and I was on skis so I could like help her maneuver down. And Fern is my oldest daughter. She's seven. She's starting to get the hang of it. So she's like, let's go up to the top of the mountain. Like, this bunny slope is for pansies. Like, we're going to the top. So I said, okay, we'll go to the top. We'll go to the top. You know, I want to I wanna encourage that adventurous side of her. So we go up there. I mean, it, and, you know, you get up there. There's, like, one cold, like, old man with a big beard who's, like, get off. And, like, you know, there you are on top of the mountain. There's, like, a snowstorm going on. And uh, I'm like, Fern, you sure you're ready for this? She's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And uh, so, so we, we go. And she's never really skied before in her life. And <laughs> I realized that I'm going to need to pull a lot of weight here. Um, so basically, we ski the whole thing all the way down, but I'm skiing the whole thing for her, okay? Like, I've got, like, my stick out. She's holding on to my stick. But really, like, my back is bearing the weight of her entire body. And we're skiing down, and we don't fall. It's pristine. It's perfect. We get to the bottom. She's like, I just skied the mountain. Like, can you believe it? Look what I did. I'm going to tell all my friends at school. And I'm like, you did it. Way to go, girl. Way to go. Now, she was excited. She was looking up the mountain saying, man, I conquered this thing. But both you and I know that without her father's help, she wouldn't have gotten even off the chairlift at the top of the mountain. She wouldn't have gotten past the cold bearded guy at the top of the mountain. But she didn't know that. She's just thinking, look what I did. Like, look what I achieved. It's amazing. And how many of y'all know, some of us are, we can, we can live that way when our father helps us. Our father actually does all the work, but we get the accolades and we think, look at that mountain I skied down. Can you believe what I was able to achieve? And God's like, that's great. That's great. Like, anything else that happened on the mountain? And so there is a real, I think we go through moments. Some of us had this moment during COVID where we get right perspective. And all of a sudden, we recognize the weight we pulled and the weight God pulled when we get humbled, when we go through something hard. And, and so really, the, the Christian life in, a, in its simplest form is really all about dependence. It's really all about trust. It's really all about being able to let your father guide and ski alongside you and direct you because you and I are going into the ditch. Like, like, let's just be honest. Like, we can't navigate this life. There's too many unknowns. There's too many fears and doubts and challenges in life to ski this mountain by ourselves. You cannot go solo. You have to go with him. You have to be dependent. And sometimes we learn that without crashing and burning, but often we learn it when we do crash and burn. And I'd rather learn it the first way. So that's why I'm preaching you this message today. <laughs> but some of you have already learned it the hard way, and we will continue every day of our life to learn how to follow Jesus. And it's a daily, it's a daily thing. So what's it look like to trust, to trust God? Um, what's it look like to depend on Jesus every day? What does that really look like? Well, I would say it looks like two things I know for sure. One thing it looks like is following God's word. It's following his word, plain and simple. 
I'm like, oh, that seems really simple, s straightforward. But then when you actually read the text and try to discern it for yourself, sometimes it's not so simple anymore. Like we want to change things. We want to edit things in the word to make it a little easier to follow Jesus, right? Don't we do that? You know, you got your favorite scripture that you go to. You kind of edit out the other stuff. You're like, yeah, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And it's like, no, there was like 10 other words that are way different than that. But you're just harking on the like, God's for me, not against me, and I'm going to win the battle. It's like we can get very selective in how we, in how we read this, the scripture instead of saying, no, this is the word of God as authority. And I'm, by fo following Jesus means following God's word. It means following God's word. We cannot separate ourselves from that. Now, the other part of following Jesus is following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, whom he gave us as our advocate, as our comforter, as the one to guide us. And some people, and I was one of them for a while, wasn't aware. I was just aware I was supposed to follow God's word. I didn't know that God was actually going to talk to me through the spirit and actually give me direction. Now, that was like a, that was a mind-blowing reality when that hit home one day. I, it's not just about being obedient to his word. It's about being obedient to the leadership of his spirit. And you and I can actually engage with that spirit. And you and I can actually co-labor with God to do things on the earth. Now, it seems really simple, but that complexity, I don't know about you, but I didn't know about that for a long time. <laughs> All I knew is to trust the word, and I did. But now there's a new element. There's the spirit. And it provides another necessary form of dependence. So what you learn, you are now responsible to do something with it. And so I think for some of us in the more charismatic movement, it can be a bit overwhelming to recognize that God could speak to you at any moment and God indirect you. And we, just like we want to edit the word sometimes, we want to edit God's voice to us because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when the Lord speaks certain things to us and tells us to do things we don't want to do. It's very uncomfortable. But in both the word and in the leadership of the spirit, we have to remain dependent, leaning in, listening. And that's where the goodness of God, which we just sung about, is so essential. Because if you read the word and you don't understand his goodness, you will come up with all sorts of things that are not accurate about who he is and what he's asking you to do. And if you listen to his voice, or you're trying to at least, and discern what he's saying, but you don't know his goodness, you will think he's saying things that he's not saying. And so in either way, the goodness of God is essential for us to be dependent, dependent by following the word, by following the spirit. And Jesus modeled this beautifully, and that's where I'm going today, is talking about Jesus and how his surrender and alignment with the Father was perfect and allowed him to endure the cross and allowed him to fulfill everything that God had for them, including winning us, winning you and me back. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But I just want to make this really important point. God is not looking for perfection. He's not, he loves obedience, and we show our love by obeying him, by obeying his commandments, but he's not looking for our perfection. He's looking for our trust for our obedience. So we got to know that before I even go down this rabbit trail, because the second you talk about dependence and obedience, if you don't know his grace, if you don't know he's pursuing love and not perfection, 
you will get trapped in all sorts of legalism and all sorts of nonsense that will keep you from his heart. And that's the goal, to reveal his heart, for us to be his heart. And we can't be it if we're caught up, we're caught up in trying to do things for him and pure obedience without intimacy is death. It's a, I've lived it, and I don't want to live it again. So hear my heart as I, I'm kind of laying this groundwork here. So dependence on God, it's, it's very countercultural. And I think that's a really important point. So say dependence is countercultural. It's countercultural. It's when you live that way, people think you're weird. When you live a life depending on God, you're an oddity. You're peculiar people. It's very countercultural. You know, Leslie Crandall was here a few weeks back. She was talking about um, her husband and how her husband Tom would like hold her hands and say, Tell me you need me. And she'd be like, Tell me you need me. And I love that story. It's such a great example. And finally, she'd be like, Fine. I need you. And she told it really well. I tried to, you know, imitate her as best I could. Um, but it just shows you how hard it is for the human heart to, re- to acknowledge dependence on others. And how much more to acknowledge dependence on God. It's very challenging. It's not natural to, this, to have this, like, it, it, and, it, and in fact, in the Western culture, it's defined more as weakness. Like, nobody celebrates being super dependent on others. <laughs> like, that's so awesome that you did that because you had to rely fully on another person. Great job. That's great. Like, no, we celebrate self-made billionaires. We celebrate people who get it done on their own. And, and that's, what, that's what the Western culture really looks up to. Um, we celebrate people that blaze their own trail and they're beholden to nobody else. Our culture loves that. But how many of you know in the Christian faith, we are beholden to one? It's a total opposite of that mentality. We are beholden to one, and to him and to him alone do we give all of our energy, all our focus, all our dependence. As opposed to us blazing our own trail, we're all about following Jesus. He's the trailblazer, and we're beholden to him and what he says we do. That's very different. It is very different, and the world, the world does not honor that, but the kingdom, that is very much honored, very much respected. And so we're creating a culture here that's, it's a kingdom culture. And so we need to honor that. We need to honor dependence. We need to honor faith in God in this place. And independence, not, we, I mean, that's good. It's not a bad thing being independent, but we don't want to overly celebrate it and miss the, the kingdom culture that God's made us for. So how do you know if you're dependent on God? What does dependence really look like? I, uh, I'm going to tell a story. You'll be like, why is this related? And then I'll connect it. Um, so I have a bouncy house that my children like to bounce on because that's what you do with a bouncy house. And uh, I set it up in my basement the other day. It was the best idea I've ever had in years because they'll bounce down there for hours. It's fantastic. <laughs> I get so much done. And so I set it up, and my youngest daughter, who's one and a half, uh, Florence, she calls it Bee House. So I set it up, she's like, Daddy, Bee House, Bee House. And like every morning she wakes up, she's like, Bee House. Like, it's 6 a.m. Um, 
so she loves the bee house, and we go down to the bee house, and we're, she's down there one day. She's like, you know, fighting me for it. I was like, fine, 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 go to the bee house. We blow it up. How many of y'all know how a bouncy house works? You probably, you might figure it out. It's pretty simple. A ton of air blows into this giant, you know, balloon-like thing, and the, just the constant flow of air is keeping this thing, and it's huge. I mean, it's got, it reaches like above me. It's like six foot, six and a half feet high, and so she's just there in the middle of it. Bee house, bee house, you know? <laughs> She's loving it, but unfortunately, if you jump too hard in the bee house, you can pinch the bee house's little airflow suction. So she's jumping around, and she pinches that sucker, and how many of you know that when you take the air out of a bouncy house, it collapses on you? <laughs> so she's like, bee house, bee house, bee house, and literally the whole thing is like surrounding her, you know? They can't even see her anymore. She's just this little tiny child immersed in, you know, this massive bouncy house that has deflated and her, you know, her world came crashing to a halt. <laughs> so it was quite cute and hilarious, although sad. Um, but I really believe it's these moments, it's the moments in life where everything deflates. It's the moments in life where the things, you know, some of us, we had these great things going on even before COVID and maybe even after COVID and you're just bouncing on this thing and you're loving like, God gave this to me. Life is great. It's beautiful. Like, and then all of a sudden it deflates right out of you, right? And your world just caves completely in on you. And in that moment, you find out real quick if you depend on God or not. You find out really quickly if that's real or if that's just circumstantial. And so the very thing you're bouncing on, when it deflates and everything falls in, that's your moment to figure out, do you really depend on God or is this all just fun and games? And so some of us, we got to that place during COVID or even more recently, and we looked in the depth of our heart and there was a lot to be desired. <laughs> there was a lot to, be, to, to grow and to mature. And I really, I really feel like if you're in that place or you've been in that place, that is a valuable place. You are in the optimal place to grow. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're about. We want to grow and mature each other in the Lord. Because you got, God's got just incredible things for the city, but we got to be mature to actually be able to handle them, to actually be able to be a family around the broken. We have to go through brokenness ourselves. And so I want to read this psalm, Psalm 23. And uh, many of you know it. It's one of the most popular psalms out that there is. Um, but I love it because it shows you David's heart in a time of extreme trial. And so King David wrote this psalm. We don't know all the context. I'll give you a few theories I have on it. But it shows you his heart in a time of a trial. And it's, it's a, it is a lament. So part of it is a lament. So most of, not most, but a lot of the psalms are actually laments. And I'll get into that a bit more, what, what a lament looks like and feels like. But I want you to, as I read it, I want you to look through the lens of a lament as well. See where there's hurt, where there's pain, as well as where there's joy and where there's victory and where there's declaration and where there's prayer. Um, so just there's these different facets. I'm just telling you that right now so you can, let's, let's read it afresh. Don't read it like you've read it a million times and some of you have. All right. So Psalm 23, starting at verse 1, this is a Psalm of David. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of dependence. We pull out, we read, you know, we're singing today, the goodness, of, the goodness and love will follow me all the days of life. We, we love to grab a hold of those facets of this psalm, and we should. But I want to focus on verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Some of the most beautiful psalms are written in a place of trial, struggle. And so we grab and we cherry pick the things around them. But this is written. It says, I walk. Not that I walked. I walk. It's present. It's a present tense. He is walking. David is walking in some trial. We don't fully know what it is. I have some hypotheses. He's walking in it, and that's producing this heart of praise and thanksgiving, which is one of the most powerful psalms ever written, and gets read all over the world, probably more than any other psalm, and it's out of a trial, it's out of a struggle, it's out of a place of suffering. I mean, he uses the word, the darkest valley. It's in the dark valley that this poetry is penned. And so I'm, I'm telling you, like, there's something about praising God in the midst of trial and struggle and transition and the unknown that super, it, it, it's, it cuts through the darkness like nothing else, like nothing else. And so this, these laments, which there is a part lament within the psalm and others, the interesting components and facets of a lament are they are not just like the blues, not just like, oh, I'm going through a dark valley. This is terrible. Like they don't end there. There's always in a lament, there's, there's a cry of the heart to the Lord, which is how we need to live. Like a cry, of, we're going through something, we cry it to the Lord. We release it to the Lord. But then there's always praise and thanksgiving. Always praise and thanksgiving within a lament. It's built in. And there's always a petition then for something to change and a recognition in that petition that uh, things in the future are going to be okay. And so all those compose a lament. So you need all of them. You you can't just act like nothing is wrong. Like I'm going through a darkest valley, but I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to give praise and I'm going to pray because I know there's a future that is good. That is, it is well with my soul because Jesus has won my heart and he's, secured my life. And so all that is kind of, it's, it's, it's all baked into a lament. It's all baked into this psalm. So there's a few ideas of like where this psalm came out of. Certainly it came from a trying time for King David. And some believe it was actually when his son took the throne. So some believe that this psalm was written while he was fleeing Jerusalem, where his son came and took power, which has got to be one of the top David had some dark moments, but that one had to be up there, right? <laughs> your son Absalom is coming and taking over and defiling your, you know, your leadership um, or defiling you know, the kingship. 
And um, so if you read that real quick, I'll just skip to that. That's in 2 Samuel um, chapter 15. I just want to read that storyline really quickly. Um, 2 Samuel 15 verse 23. It says, we're talking about lament. It says, the whole countryside wept out loud as all the people passed by. The king crossed the Kindred Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. This is when his son is taking over Jerusalem. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites were with him, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathur offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the Ark and go back to the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. So Zadok and Abathar took the Ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they stayed there. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, his head covered, and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too, and they were weeping as they went up. It's a heart, it's a gut-wrenching moment for David. So it could very well be that in that moment, in that place of weeping, he said, the Lord is my rock. He said, even though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's, it's very possible that he penned this in that moment. And so it was arguably his greatest and most troubling moment, and you have the most beautiful psalm that probably came out of that moment. So I want to trans- jump forward to Jesus' moment, to his most troubling, trying moment, which happened to be at the same place as David's, the Mount of Olives. Pretty interesting, right? More than interesting. God is a poet. He's beautiful in every way. He's intentional in all. David's storyline and our storyline too. So I want to go to Matthew 26 and um, starting at verse 36. Matthew 26, we read at verse 36. So this is right after, um, right after the Last Supper when Jesus is preparing um, to go to the cross. So he knows that Judas is about to betray him and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. That's where it's located at. Um, verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to, sor- to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus. Sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, Unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He returned to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And of course, it's Judas he's talking about, who would betray him with a kiss. Gethsemane, that, that name, that word, it means olive press in the Hebrew. 
So the geth or gat means press, and the shemi means oil. And so the Mount of Olives is right there with all the, the you know, the olive, um, olive trees. And then, of course, you've got the press. And that's where Jesus prays. And that's where Jesus decides to give up his spirit, to give up his life for the sins of man. That's where he gives his life away. It is not taken from him. He gives it away. And he makes that choice right then and there with God, communing with him. And the beauty of it is it says he would go to this place frequently. Jesus frequented the Mount of Olives. This was his prayer place. This was the place where he went to get intimacy with God. And out of that intimacy, out of that prayer, he was able to stay aligned with the will of God. He was able to not give in to, the, to whatever pressures, to whatever. To, I mean, can you imagine God saying, I want you to bear all of my wrath. I want you to drink this cup of my wrath fully to the dredge, to the very bottom for the sins of the world. Can you imagine the pressure of the sins of the world on one man? And Jesus, in that moment, with that decision, says, I'll take it. Not my will, but yours be done. But it wasn't easy. I mean, it says he was sorrowful. I mean, Luke says that in Luke's, you know, um, depiction of this, it says that he was bleeding drops of blood. It says that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It says that he was in agony. There's pain in the Christian life that is real, and I know it because Jesus lived it. He didn't just breeze through. He, he felt the tension of that moment, and he trusted God completely. And that's how we're called to live, and we can't because he did. Dependence looks like leaning to the word of God, leaning into what his spirit is saying. That's what Christ did in that moment. He leaned in the spirit. He discerned what he was called to do, and he knew the word. He knew that he was the suffering servant, and he chose to be the suffering servant in that moment. You and I can't, don't try to separate yourself from Christ's experiences. Yeah, we're not, you and I, we're not dying for the sins of the world, but we are called to lay our life down for the kingdom of God. So sometimes I think we think we see Jesus as like so distant sometimes in his experiences because he is God, but he is human. That's why he endured such sorrow. That's why he endured such pain. That's why he became human so that we could relate, so he could relate to us and we could relate to him. And so we don't want to separate ourselves from that reality. And I want to encourage you, some of you have been in some weak moments recently or in the recent history. And it's in those weak moments that I believe the Lord actually drives out that independent spirit. It really, I can tell you, I grew up very independent, firstborn child. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. Really like if this is going to happen, you know, I'll make it happen. And those weak moments, oh, they squeezed that right the heck out of me because I got so humbled that I needed God, and I had to rely, I had to press in, I had to say, God, like, I can't, I can't go down this mountain, and so those are precious moments, some of you are in that moment, lean into that moment, use it to get intimate, use that wine press to strengthen your soul, because it's going to allow you then to lead families, talk about like kingdom marriages, to lead businesses, to, to be engaged with, some of you are in massive transition moments, and like this moment in your weakness this is your moment. 
Don't wait till you get whatever thing you believe God's going to give you. Do not wait. Mature now. So I want to get into three things before I close about what a dependent life is. Um, So you know I like my list. I like to list things out. That's what I do. Um, So a dependent life is. All right. So a dependent life. Here's my first one. A dependent life is a life of pain. Life of pain. It's painful. Like I said, it's countercultural. This is exciting. Justin's talking about giving the offering, and he's talking about dying to yourself. And that's the gospel. You know, you know, you love to preach that. Hey, come and come and die that you may fully live. I mean, that's what Jesus, that's what he said. But we don't hear that preached that often because we don't think people are going to respond to that. I tell you what, they will respond. Because people all over the city are looking for purpose. And if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not purposeful. And Jesus asks us everything of us, but he gives us way more than we can possibly bargain for. And so we, that message is the message of the kingdom. Come and die that you may live. Um, Mark eight thirty four. Then he called the crowd to him, this is Jesus, along with the disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Like, Jesus, this is not good marketing. Like, what's up with this? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I could easily just chop that last verse off the end, but I was like, I'm just going to leave it because that stings. And that we need to hear truth. We need to hear what the word says and take it serious. And our very life depends on it. You will live such a full life when you give yourself fully to him. Some of, some of us, the reason we, our life feels dead is because we're not all in. I'm telling you, we're living halfway. And if you live halfway, that's why you feel dead on the inside. Because you're not made to live halfway. You're made to be all in, all chips in. It's so true, right? And, and people are hungering for that. And when they see it on your life, boy, it'll, it'll convict them. It'll mess them up. You'll say, what is that? Why are you so radical? Because Jesus' love is radical. So how do you follow Jesus? There's three components in here that I want to point out. Following, you deny yourself. That's a huge one. And that is supernatural to deny yourself and your self-interest. You bear the cross. It says you're, those that follow Jesus are cross bearers. We'll get to that a bit. That's, when, that's intense. You lay down your earthly life to receive your heavenly life. So those are three things in that scripture that stand out. Now, what's it mean to take up the cross? It means to take up opposition, take up humiliation, take up suffering, and even, and even death if it comes to it. That's taking up your cross. That's fun. You deny yourself what? So by taking up your cross, you deny yourself of these things. Acceptance, honor, comfort, safety. That's what it feels like to take up your cross. That's what it feels like to to give yourself fully to the Lord. It's not always fun, but it is life-giving. So number one, a life dependent is a life of pain. 
Number two, a life of dependence is a life of power. That's more fun. But the pain is the first part. (laughs) A life of power. Jesus overcame the darkness. Jesus played the devil at the cross. He thought that he was that he was winning, and he said, this is the moment of darkness, but what you don't realize is I'm coming back with my spirit and with an army, and I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to raise up all these other people all throughout the earth that are fearless, and that have the spirit of God are not, if Jesus, if, if he, the gospel is not just about him saving us from our sins. It's about him empowering us to live a life free of sin and destroy darkness. It's pure redemption. I love it. Like, he played the enemy like a tool. And uh, I love that about God. Um, So (laughs) Jesus makes us alive, and that gives us power over darkness. So we have the power now in Christ over ourself. That's a really big point, right? I just talked about being dead to yourself. In Christ, you have the power to to be crucified to your self-interest. That's supernatural, and that's not normal. That's weird. And people will be surprised by that. You have the power in Christ to love other people. You can love the craziest, most unlovable people because Christ lives in you. It's a powerful tool for evangelism when you love crazy people. And, and we can do it. You have power over fear itself. Fear is, run, is running rampant all over the place, all over the city. It's like, it's got no power over me. Jesus has won my heart. And Jesus has overcome all fear. He lived the perfect life. He defeated fear. And the last one, he defeated even death itself. He defeated death. I'm not afraid to die. (laughs) I mean, you think I'm afraid to die? Well, sometimes it kind of freaks me out. I don't want to leave my kids, like, in a, you know, bad place. But, my gosh, I'm going to be with him in glory. Like, I'm not afraid of that. So when we understand who he is and what he's done, we operate in such power that that's a dependent life. It's in power. And, of course, there's power to deliver, to deliver people. There's power over demonic. There's power to heal. I mean, there's all these other things which we talk about quite a bit um, here in this house. And it all comes packaged in the cross. It all comes packaged in Christ. But so many Christians, I find, live a life where they feel very powerless. And if you get to the bottom of your own life, you might find, and maybe you feel that way. Even, even some of us that, you know, you've seen demons flee. You've seen bodies healed. But then there's other parts in your life where the truth is you don't have a lot of hope. You feel quite powerless to change situations. And so that's a reality for a, lot of, for a lot of people. And I'm telling you, the dependent life, we walk in great power. When you see things that don't align with God's kingdom, you can pray in confidence, and he will actually change the things you pray for. That's a big difference versus going through life a victim, versus going through life just getting tossed around by the culture. Hang in there. Pray that Jesus comes back and saves everything. No, I want to make you a catalyst. I want to make you one that I can use with my power to shift things in you and in the culture around you, to shift things in people. It's a very different posture. So a life of, de- a life of dependence is a life of power. My last one. So I'll, I'll go through them. I like to repeat them. A life of dependence is a life of pain. A life of dependence is a life of power. A life of dependence is a life of prayer. God end in prayer. That's what we do. That's who we are. And that's how you thrive. How about thrive? You got to pray. 
And let me tell you, Tammy's here every week praying for kingdom marriages. So you, part of that's covered, but part of it's on you too. But I'm telling you, she's, she's covering part of it. Um, the power of prayer. I mean, you look at Christ. How did he overcome in his weakest moment? He was prayed up. He was praying at that very spot so that he could defeat darkness for you and for me and get the joy set before him. That was us. Prayer is essential. And when we get in this healthy place of prayer, when we encounter things that are just not the kingdom of God, that are way the heck off, fear, you know, disease, dark. And when we encounter it, we just automatically go into this prayer mode. Like that's that healthy culture that we want to cultivate as a community. And that's where there's power because you recognize I don't have to be subjected to whatever this thing is. This is not in alignment with God's will and his desires. So you immediately bring it to the king. You immediately bring it to his throne instead of like, just like, well, I guess it is what it is. Like, I guess I'm just going to have to deal with these losses. I guess the world's just going to go this direction. No, like, we are aligned with the king of kings, the one who has endured pain and has power. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, the right hand. All power and authority has been given to him. So we're going to appeal to that king. We are not powerless on any stretch. I mean, that's hilarious to even think of. Um, So I would just want to encourage you, just on a practical note, you know, I could say pray more, and that's important, but how do you cult- cultivating a lifestyle of prayer is not just like a one line, let's all pray more, okay? Um, it's something that is intimate, intimate, and it's something that is daily, and it's not just going to a prayer meeting, but going to prayer meetings really help. So I definitely encourage everybody, you know, we have weekly prayer sets here all throughout the week. Like, there's groups of people here that are in your industry that are in, you know, the, the places where you frequent, the, the industries where you're familiar with. Find those people and begin to pray into the things God's given you to do in this, in this city. Like, that, honestly, if you take nothing from today, you want to be dependent, pray and find other people that are going to stir you up to pray. To not just submit to whatever's happening around you or the culture around you, but to say, we have power and it might be painful, but we're going to pray into this area because God will move. Because he has the power and the authority, and he gave it to you and me. You know, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he, he says, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. Forgive them. You want to talk about power? You want to talk about authority? Like, he's staring at his oppressors, and he says, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. And we think that's amazing. How many know a guy named Stephen not too long afterward, he's getting stoned to death by, you know, well, Paul's watching, but by, you know, all these other religious leaders, and, uh, and he's getting stoned to death. And what bubbles up out of him? God, do not hold their sins against them. Just like Jesus responded, now his anointing is on Stephen. Oh my gosh, everybody before all the Old Testament, they're prophesying judgment. They're saying, burn these people up. But Stephen has a different spirit, the spirit of the Lord. And so the things that Christ has done, the scriptures show, now we do them. (laughs) And it's not because Stephen's like, I'm going to quote Jesus. It was because Stephen was getting pummeled, but he looked into heaven and he saw what God was doing. And he had love for the people that were oppressing him. That's power. That's power. That's some serious power, and it will awaken hearts. And I'm telling you, that's the type of stuff. I don't pray that anybody gets pwned by rocks in the streets of New York, but I'm, I am telling you 
there are those type of moments that are going to happen for you and for me in this city. And I've seen it. I've seen it prophetically, and it, it kind of messes me up sometimes. But I've seen it, and I'm telling you, it's coming, and you will have those type of moments where there's going to be Pauls in the crowd that get touched, that get wrecked. Because, you're, because you walk in such dependence on God that you don't care what stone they throw at you. You just, you just, they squeeze you and you just pour out love. The love of Christ that's on your life just flows out of you. And there's Paul's in the crowd and they're like, what is that? I spent my whole life trying to find God and see God, but that is God. How do I get that? And so I don't know if he fully felt that in that moment, but he got teed up. Let's be real. He got teed up. Um, so ultimately the dependent life, this is my last point, a really important one. It gives God the maximum amount of glory. And that's why he does things so abnormal, I believe, because then you have to be dependent because it's odd and other people aren't doing it this way. (laughs) And then people know it's not you, it's something on your life. And then they find out, oh, it's actually this guy, Jesus. That's who it is. And I've had moments in my old workplace where people are like, I don't know how you're doing that. I don't know how you're loving these people, but you tell me, you keep talking about Jesus. Is it something to do with that guy? Like, yeah, that's the guy. Like that's, that's how we're able to operate. And so people are going to come to you and ask you, how are you doing this? Cause you do it differently. Cause you walk by the spirit and, and you fear God in his word. And that's where you get to say, no, this is God. And it's for his glory. So he's going to maximize the glory. Um, second Corinthians. I want to read this verse. Second Corinthians 14, Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 14, verse 17. So the point I'm getting at is those that walk dependent on God, you and I, you challenge the skeptics, you challenge the doubters, you challenge those that cannot wrap their mind around a good and loving God, but they see it dripping on your life and they can't help but start to believe or at least start to entertain it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. Some will hate you. That's the pain. Some will hate you. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Some will be so drawn to what you say, to the life you live, to the power you exude, and they will come to the Lord. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. You all are sent in this city from God, and some are going to hate you for it, and some are going to love you for it, and many will come into the kingdom because of your life of dependency. Many, I'm telling you. There's some crazy evangelists in this room, and you don't even believe you're evangelist. And you might not be evangelist, but you don't got to be an evangelist. You just got to love Jesus. You don't got to have an office. That's just what you do. Worship team, could you guys come up? So I was talking to my friend the other week. And this, not the other week. This was, I don't know. I don't know when this was. It was sometime. But... Um, she was a, she's a nurse, really dear friend of mine. I've been sharing, I've been trying to share Jesus with her for, I don't know, 15 years. And um, 
She's never, never been that open. And she came to me and she said, Colt, I know God's real. I said, you do? Tell me. Tell me more. <laughs> and she, uh, she was a nurse during COVID, during the height of the pandemic. And she saw some pretty crazy things. She dealt with a lot of people on their deathbed. And she said that when she was working with believers in Jesus, that when she was by their bedside, and she was often the only one that was, you know, their, their family couldn't be there. She said, Colt, when I looked in their eyes, I knew God was real. When she looked in the eyes of those that were dying who knew Christ, she saw life. She saw hope. She saw something beyond her own understanding. And that's what dependence looks like. I don't know who these people are, but they ministered to my friend more than I ever could. <laughs> And I don't want to wait till that moment to minister to people. And neither should you. Can everybody stand, please? So, Father, we thank you. And we come to you today as those dependent. If you want to be more dependent on God, just, just put your hands out. Just, just put them out. And we just say, God, we want to be more dependent. We want to be more dependent. We, we want to be those that are your hands and feet, Lord. We want to be those that follow your word and follow your spirit. We want to be those that lay down their life that others would know, that they would know this loving God that we enjoy every day. Father, I pray right now for all those in transition, God. I pray, Father, that they would lean into your voice. I pray, Lord, that in that olive press, in that, in that time of not understanding, in that time of even feeling agony and pain, God, I pray that you would give them all that they need, God. I pray that you would mature them in the ways of God. I pray that their suffering would not be in vain, that their pain would lead to power. I pray that their prayer life would be strengthened. I pray that their intimacy would be deepened. I pray that their, the understanding of their purpose would be clarified. I feel like some of you, the transition moment, it's, it is a death to self. It's a death to an old vision and some of that old vision was caught up in you. And God's like, get rid of this thing, man. Like, we're going to move on. We're, I'm going to give you a vision that is my vision. And a vision that is fulfilling. And that's satisfying to the soul. Even if it's hard. Even if it's painful. So, Lord, I pray, Father, for those, for those that are in that place, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you confirm if that word is theirs? Would you... Would you fortify them, God, for this season? 
that you're preparing them for. And I pray too, there's a maturity, there's a, there's a quickening in some people today. There's a, there's a maturity. You're gonna know the depth of his love faster than you ever thought. You're gonna disciple people that you didn't even think you could disciple. And so I just, I thank you, Father, for maturing us in love, for maturing us. I thank you, Lord, just for the grace to obey you, the grace to depend on you. And I pray to just that grace over, there's some of you that the word dependence is a bad word. It's like, it's just like provokes, you know, all sorts of working for the Lord and like, you know, all these other notions. So God, I pray too that your grace, your grace, your grace, your grace. Would you crush the independent spirit? A spirit of independence. So we say you have to go. You have no control over us. We're dependent on the one. We're secure in God. We have power and authority, not because of what we've done, but because of who our God is, because of the God that we're connected to. So we just declare that right now. And if that's you, just say, independent spirit, be broken in Jesus' name. I choose to be dependent today. I choose to follow the way of Jesus today. I choose to trust my Father today. And orphan spirits, we say you have to go today in Jesus' name. You're skiing with your Father. You're not skiing on your own. You're not, you don't have to like find every nook and, and every little you know, threat around you. You're skiing with your Father. He knows the hill. He knows the way. He knows the dangers. He's going to keep you safe. So yeah, we just speak that orphan spirit and we say, go in Jesus' name. This room is full of sons and daughters. So begin to speak that over yourself. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm with him. I don't got to plow my own way. I don't got to build my own kingdom. He's got a kingdom and I'm in it. We thank you, Lord, for this reality. We, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you today. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.